0: This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. Keishi Chai of New York City has performed in 39 countries, with names like Natasha Atlas, In Excess, Belly Dance Superstars, Raya Brassband, She's been on Conan O'Brien and made many more screen and stage appearances. She is also a theatrical director, teacher trainer, and award-winning designer. She has extensive training in contemporary dance, physical theater, think about clowns and how that could apply to belly dance, and Silk Road dances spanning from the Middle East to China. She was actually the first US-based belly dance teacher that ever taught in mainland China. I saw Keishi belly dance to live music a few years ago, and it was gorgeous, classy. And memorable. You can see much more of what Keishi has to offer on Keishi.com. That's K A E S H I.com. I'll be linking to Keishi's site as well as great videos of her dancing in the show notes for this episode. Keishi co founded the professional dance company and school Belly Queen, which looks like sometimes it takes place in Ubud in Bali, which is one of my favorite places. Very cool. Keishi also co founded PURE, which stands for Public Urban Ritual Experiment, a global community focused on healing and social change through dance and music. The website for that is www.pureglobe.org. One of her all-time joys is dancing to live music. So, in 2007, Kashi set up JAM, NYC, which is spelled with a D, like JIN, a silent D, D-J-A-M, in New York City, a weekly event that has been running since 2007. This event is a chance for dancers and musicians to create and play together. Keishi has also performed with one of my favorite bands, JIN, also spelled with a silent D. I've mentioned Carmine Guida and Melissa the Loud in previous episodes. Melissa the Loud is a hurdy-gurdy player as well as other instruments. They were both part of that wonderful group as well. I believe Keishi has also performed with the adorable smiley drummer Casey Bond that I feature in episode 20 and Dahlia Carella, who was featured in episode 18. If you enjoy this show with Keishi, please pop over to aliciafree.com, subscribe to this podcast, and check out previous podcast episodes that just might give you what you're looking for. Keishi, do you have a danceable ritual you would like to share?
1: Danceable ritual. My ritual... I've got a bunch of them, but the one that seems to work for me is choreographing in the shower. I shower twice a day when I first wake up and then before I go to sleep and I come up with so many ideas. Something about the water falling and letting your mind just go blank is just really, really meditative and a lot of creativity arises in that situation. So I recommend shower choreography, shower dancing, but I usually sit up, meditate. Tate. then I'll shower then I'll come back I'll get dressed for the day I'll put makeup on well I don't do that every day especially now with the pandemic but today I did it I got all dressed up as though I was going out to teach or go out to take a class and then I go about my day and before I go to sleep I also jump in the shower again so I definitely am inspired in the shower and I am so grateful for hot water Oh, yeah. Hot
0: water is nice. Fortunately, since we were all in quarantine when this was recorded, Bradley McDonald, Casey's husband, was also in the apartment. And Brad is a musician. He's a percussionist. And he's worked with so many belly dancers as well as his wife. So he jumped into the interview. Do you want to jump in, Brad? He has been part of the belly dance
2: world
1: for so many years that he's become an expert. And a lot of dancers, when they're finished performing, they'll ask him for his feedback.
2: Things that I usually talk to dancers about when we're teaching musicality is to just be themselves. Don't worry about being perfect and don't worry about wearing somebody else's smile. Be yourself on stage. That is so much more impactful than trying to become a character you're playing a character who is a dancer. It's so much more compelling when somebody is just themselves with all the glorious imperfections and all that kind of thing. And I think it's the same for musicians. Being able to sort of take the ultimate risk of being seen, I think is the most compelling kind of performer.
0: Well said. Kishi, do you have anything to add to that? I agree. I'm a recovering
1: perfectionist and (laughs) it's not easy to just let it all out and that's often something that I struggle with. Brad, how many years were you
0: and gin
2: we played actively well, a good decade yeah, maybe even a little longer
0: and keishi you've been part of so many shows like big shows so it just says a lot about both of you showing up you show up when it's time to show up you do your best and even if you have doubt you have fear you're not feeling great you still show up right yeah. so i had a
2: funny story that when Jin came together because a dancer named sarah solstice was organizing a weekly show at this turkish restaurant in brooklyn and uh, had approached carmine about putting together a band. And I think at the time, Carmine probably knew eight songs. I didn't know any songs. And we had another percussionist who knew a few songs and we would play for like three hours and we had to squeeze the most out of that super limited catalog of music. How can you make eight songs last three hours? You have a lot of improvisation and a lot of tangents within it. And so each song ends up being, you know, 30 minutes and we played and we played and it terrified me every week because, you know, I was pretty insecure about my playing and still am but after a year or so of this I was talking to Carmine and I was just starting to build my confidence and feel like yeah I belong on stage and I I asked him, I was like, so Carmine, of all the different drummers in New York City, you know, why do you choose to play with me? You could play with anybody. And I was really, really hoping that he would say something like, oh, you're so much better than you really are, or or, than you think you are. And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 there are tons of better drummers than you, but I like playing with you. And (laughs) I had this moment where I was just like, well, shit, that's not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) Here I am being very vulnerable. And in the moment, you just basically confirmed that I'm not that good. So I was like, what does that mean? He was like, you show up. You never hesitate to practice. You never hesitate to do a gig. You want to make this thing happen. And he's like, you're always there and you're fun to work with. And he was like, I would rather work with that person who shows up with joy in their heart than the person who is really technically sound, but maybe difficult to work with. And it took me a little while to process that. And I thought, you know, that is actually a skill and maybe an asset. And I think that's the thing. Like you said, it. it's like you just show up. And if you show up and you're positive, you get more opportunities. And The more opportunities you get, the better you get the better you get if you still maintain that positivity the more opportunities you get you know it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy or cycle
0: and the fear doesn't matter as much
2: and the fear doesn't matter as much after 10 years of fucking up on stage Mm -hmm. making mistakes missing cues you realize the world is not coming to an end because I didn't play Bellity four times, followed by Mass Moody six times, and then, you know, whatever. <laughs> Things just progress, and you're like, oh, no, the world, oh, no, I messed up. And then you realize nobody in the room cared.
1: And probably they don't even remember, to be honest, because I think about when I toured with the belly band superstars, sometimes I'll meet a dancer and she'll say, oh, you were so fabulous in the hula piece. And then I say to her, I was not in the hula piece. That was Sonia Ochoa's number. (laughs) She goes, oh. (laughs) It's like... (laughs)
2: That's that's true. Yeah, with Jin, like I can't even count the number of times that we did a gig and at the break, I would go out into the audience, I'd be talking to somebody and somebody would come up to me and be like, oh, the band is really good. And I'd be like, thank you. And they're like, who are you? And I was like, I'm in the band. You just were complimenting. (laughs) It's happened dozens of times.
1: Right. Yeah, you're so caught up in the moment. You think, is my hair okay? Is my eyelash okay? And then 10 years later, people don't even remember you in that piece
2: yeah
0: but we remember each other's energy right because we want either more of it or less of
2: it <laughs> well that's the thing yeah right. it's true somebody remembers your face or the exact costume you wore or that ripping little fill you did in a drum solo like the main details but they will remember the energy yeah right. you're right
0: mm-hmm. great points any more tips brad it's you do you dance as yourself not as somebody else you're emulating necessarily but as the best version of you Yeah.
2: And even if you start the emulation of somebody else's style, because in a way, we're all kind of emulating something, you know, whatever. I'm like a white guy from Kalamazoo, Michigan, playing music that is not part of the culture in which I grew up. So there's a fair amount of emulation going on. But then I also have to recognize that not being of this culture, uh, unless I dedicate my life to it, I will probably never have sort of like a truth to the way I play because I did not grow up with it. So I have to kind of give myself some permission to be myself and whatever, throw in a hip hop beat, throw in a rock beat, because that is my culture. It is kind of what I grew up listening to and letting that come through in the music. I think that's a big part of it. But understanding the structure within the structure in which we all operate, in the context in which we're all sort of performing, is key. Even if you're emulating a dancer's style, doing the best you can to learn from that, but then backing off and saying, like, well, how do I now take this knowledge and make it a clearer expression of myself? I think doing that with deliberation, embedding yourself in some new vocabulary vocabulary, integrating it into your body and stepping back and saying, now that I have this vocabulary, what do I want to say with it as a person?
0: Nice. Have you ever heard the expression to live life without comparison is to live with integrity.
2: I had not heard that, but I like it. It's
0: Krishnamurti, I think. But I think part of emulating, there are amazing dancers to be inspired by. But when we compare ourselves to them Mm. ongoing, it's a losing game. Yeah. Because that's how I was using the word emulating, but it wasn't very clear, so.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think like a lot of the dancers or the musicians or the artists that we admire have taken that step to fearlessly, maybe even recklessly do something that is uniquely their own. And because they've taken that step, they then develop a follow-up of people who want to do what they're doing. But the essential lesson that those people teach us or should be teaching us is do you, Mm -hmm. you know, become a master of your expression.
1: I think part of taking lessons with somebody is really learning about possibility because they're expanding your perspective on what's possible through vocabulary, through transitions, through music choice, through thought patterns.
2: Yeah, and we should all keep learning. There's like this idea of the learning spiral where you develop a broad base of knowledge you implement it you reflect on that you kind of feed your brain a little bit more with new information you reflect on it you apply it and it's sort of the spiral that works from broad and then like a nautilus curls in on itself and it's through the process of investigation experimentation integration and practice over and over and over again that we refine what it is that we have to say
0: nice guys featured
2: in my body food
0: What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? oat milk is delicious what do you put oat milk in i put it into my coffee and i put it into my granola
1: and i also drink it when i'm having a sandwich
0: yeah cup of it it's like the natural sweetness of the oats is so nice in terms of a plant-based milk yeah. i feel like it's the sweetest yeah and it's pretty creamy too
1: depending on which brand you get and so if you're having a piece of bread that's pretty dry it helps to balance it out and brad loves it too
2: i do actually that's true that's actually a really hard question because i enjoy cooking. It's really about the combination of ingredients. Like rice on its own to me is okay. Lentils on their own, they're okay. But when you start combining them with garlic and sauteed onion and chopped snap peas and all these other kinds of whole foods, that's when they get exciting. It's a compound, but I would probably say nuts.
1: Oh, yeah. Add peanuts to anything. <laughs>
2: yeah, you can add peanuts Heck to anything. yeah. I've been on a kick this week where I'm actually marinating peanuts in soy sauce, cayenne pepper, and just a dash of sugar, and then basically stir frying them and put it in the fridge. And it sort of like coagulates the sort of sauce around the nuts. And it's so good. And I've just been putting them in everything.
0: Sounds like it smells so good when you're cooking that too.
2: Yeah, it does actually. So I'm going to say nuts.
0: Nuts. I love it when people put peanuts in nori rolls.
2: Oh yeah. Peanuts are magic. You put peanuts in anything and all of a sudden you're like, mmm. crap.
0: <laughs> my three-year-old would totally agree with this oat milk oh. and peanuts all over these things
2: <laughs> totally cool we should hang feel good look good habit
1: i think brad can also help answer do you have a feel good look good habit you want to share
2: i don't know about look good but feel good definitely i exercise every day i do like body weight and mobility training here at an apartment i had i have four rupture discs in my back and over the years like it started to take its toll so i started getting into trying to figure out what mobility exercises i could do no matter where i was in the world and how i could exercise and sort of build strength along my spine and that turned into a, the thing that sets me up for the day that i look forward to and i feel feel the best after having done it is some form of exercise that is not a gym. That's not an organized class. It's almost like a form of meditation. It's me doing this thing that makes me feel good for myself by myself.
1: Brad is so disciplined. I really respect that. And he's able to download programs on the internet and follow them religiously. Like for me, I need an organized class to show up and I need a live teacher to be staring at me. I need the responsibility of students whether they're students that I'm studying with or these students that are taking my class or other dancers that are relying on me to come up with choreography for them to learn for me I need the group to show up and Brad just needs himself (laughs) (laughs) basically
0: Is there a secret to that? Is it the first thing you do when you wake up? Do you have it on your calendar? Like, is there a way that you do that?
2: I used to put it in a calendar. I used to set it at a certain time. Over the years, it's evolved to something where I wake up, I have my coffee, I have a couple glasses of water, I stretch out, I do a bunch of email and get rid of like the admin things that I need to do, like the monkey chatter in my brain. And once the monkey chatter is gone, then I'll do like exercise because I feel more present after I remove the chatter. And the days that I don't exercise, I really feel it. So I don't need to schedule it because it's kind of addictive, like that's a psychological need to do it at this point. And I think many, many years ago, several lifetimes ago, I was a political cartoonist and I had to conceptualize, draw and deliver a political cartoon to my newspaper every day. And I think that really set me up for the practice of routine and the appreciation for routine and also the appreciation for living with just the consequences of your decisions in a way where some days... I would have a comic at the end of the day that I was like, hmm, that's not so good, but I had a deadline. So I had to deliver it. Some days all the gears were firing and I would look at my piece of work and I was proud of it and I'd be happy to deliver it and publish it the next day. But five years of that, I think kind of ingrained in me this habit or kind of a need for habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then now that I don't have that deadline, I just sort of replace it with something else that makes me feel good for me.
0: I'm surprised that you're still able to do it consistently after you open your email. Like that is impressive.
2: Oh, because I hate email. <laughs> That's why I get it out of the way. I really just don't like it. And so as soon as I'm done, I'm like, oh, thank God. Now we can do something fun. It's like a treat. That's my philosophy is just treats.
1: Your workout's your treat.
2: Yeah. My entire life is just a system of treats. <laughs> i like I basically live in a Skinner box
0: awesome my husband and my son and i all do pilates pretty much every day cool yeah we wake up we get the mats out you know and we just go for it my son's version of pilates is quite creative and different every day but
2: he's three years old so that's yeah yeah but he's still
0: part of it you know cool (laughs) it's really hilarious sometimes but if i opened my email and did that i mean i think i'd have a harder time it's just the first thing you know for me that's what works but it's just all about figuring out what works for us yeah
2: yeah for me the email in the morning is like an exorcism
0: Yeah, when I wake up and if I
1: look at email first, I find that I've got monkey chatter the whole day. And if I can be disciplined enough to not look at my email, to do that meditation before I look at email, it makes a huge difference.
0: Right. And then you have no excuse right? That's getting in the way of you fulfilling this promise to yourself. You don't have something like, oh my God, there's an emergency. You know, the emergency will happen after I meditate. Yes. Will be addressed after I meditate. That's more how I operate. Brett, I'm Mm. impressed. I've never heard your way of doing it. It's really cool. So it's just incentivizing. You know, you take care of something that needs to be taken care of, and then your exercise and your routine is your reward.
2: 100%. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Casey, do you want to talk about your feel good, look good habit?
1: Well, my look good, feel good habit is my face pillow which helps me not sleep on my face most of the time. Sometimes I still roll onto my tummy. I grew up my whole life sleeping on my tummy. And now that I'm in my 40s, looking in the mirror, I realized that spending more than eight hours or eight hours a night every day of my life sleeping on my face has this impact. So I learned how to sleep on my back. And it was quite the process. Brad knows.
2: Yeah, <laughs> funny. She's got this special pill. It's basically like a fort that prevents her head from turning but i think like that's kind of a feel good look good habit maybe more on the look good followed by feel good but i think you also meditate in the morning like you have a routine
1: meditation shower get fully dressed for the day put on makeup then make the bed then make coffee have a water with some lemon inside and all the vitamins and the coffee and as i'm drinking the coffee i'm journaling coffee for me is my treat so after i've gotten everything out of the way then i treat myself with a coffee
0: oh, nice i like your mornings guys i'm very peaceful <laughs> yeah
2: mornings are pretty good mornings are pretty yeah. good
1: i mean because i'm a freelancer i own my own business so after that anything is up for grabs like i really don't have a routine after that so i have one thing that i can follow in the morning and then it's a wild circus after
2: that <laughs> It is
0: beautiful. Brad, thanks so much for sitting in on the belly dance podcast interview.
2: Total surprise. Thank you for having me as a surprise guest.
0: Now it's time for some music.
2: Danceable song.
0: Keishi, is there a danceable song you want to share? The song that I've been really
1: enjoying recently is called Bone Dance by Deya Dova. It's the Dancing Tiger remix. And what was happening three days prior to performing to the song was I subluxated my shoulder. So my left arm was not fully in its joint and I couldn't lift it above my shoulder. And I went to the urgent care nearby and they took an x-ray and they told me, oh, your your arm is totally fine. Just rest it. Take this medication. Here's a sling. And I walked out and I thought, no, it's not. And I went to an acupuncturist and she happened to have a bone setter the acupuncturist's kung fu teacher was there and she asked me if i wanted to have my bone set so with trepidation i said yes and he put my arm back in the socket basically (laughs) and this was on monday and then on wednesday i was performing to this song bone dance so when I think of the song, I think of that incident when I was bone-setted. <laughs>
0: wow. You already knew that that was the song you were going to perform to for that show?
1: I had chosen that song, and I didn't realize that on Sunday I was going to be in a situation where I couldn't use my arm, really. So I needed to do something quick. And I knew that if I didn't have my bones reset, that I wouldn't be able to perform to the song. But I thought it was a very appropriate name, actually. It was quite funny.
0: Yeah. It's... Kind of wild that all happened in sequence like that.
1: Yeah, so these people do exist. And I was talking to a friend of mine who had her shoulder out of joint for two years. So I'm just super grateful I got it fixed in a day. So this song, Bone Dance, is really, really fun. And it gets me riled up. I like to put it on when I'm transitioning from place to place, when I'm traveling on the subway, when I'm walking. So it's
0: a really fun song to teach to as well. I find Deadova as musician very healing to listen to. Mm-hmm just mm-hmm. interesting when you're talking about going through this process and performing when you just started to go on the other side of an injury. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing. There are some artists that are really in it because they want to breathe life into us. It seems like it's a woman and her partner and her daughter or something. Mm. I'm not quite sure. That's who I see in their videos. I have not checked out their videos yet. I've discovered
1: her yeah. on Spotify, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to listening to more of her songs. I think the name is fantastic. Bone Dance.
0: Or the Dancing Tiger. <laughs> Dancing Tiger remix. Right? I love it. It's awesome. I've performed to their song, Bird Tribes Are Rising. Oh. And I perform with Isis Wings, too. Mm. And I believe this is the song where she's actually recording herself breathing with an active volcano. Wow. Yeah. And some of her pieces, she's recording on site. They travel all around the world recording with different natural phenomenon. And you can hear her go, ah, I
1: know this <laughs> I love anything with an audible exhale where you can hear the breath. And as dancers, that's a very powerful tool that we often forget about. And that is how we can use our voice. Sometimes I perform and I scream at the same time. (laughs) As when I'm dancing and I shock this audience. People come up to me afterwards. I mean, they usually either hate it or love it. But the ones that really love it, they say that they're going to try using their voice when they perform too, because they realize how powerful it can be.
0: Yeah, we are so silent on stage.
1: We are. And I love watching dancers that sometimes just dance to the sound of their breath. I was just watching Netherlands Dance Theatre. They came from Europe recently and they were performing at City Centre. This was the last show I saw before the pandemic closed everything down. And they had a suite that lasted a good 15-20 minutes. And most of that was them performing with their breath.
0: Wow. Yeah. There's a shout out to Deadova using some breath in their music too. That's very belly danceable. A lot of their pieces. Absolutely. A great choice. Yes. The featured songs will always be available on Spotify on my belly dance body and soul playlist. Follow my playlist, listen for free and dancing will become even easier with hundreds of diverse belly danceable songs, all curated for you and all on one list right at your fingertips. Just click on that Spotify icon on the top of Aliciafree.com and it will take you right there. You have been on TV, on stage with Natasha Atlas, part of Jelena's Belly Dance Evolution. You've been part of so many amazing projects. What has been one of your favorites and why?
1: Ooh, that's a hard question to answer because there's just so many memories. It's like this tapestry and I'm going to just pick up one gem. So one that comes to mind was going to Mexico City in 2014 to put on the Pure Reflections Beauty Reimagined show. And this is a show that I toured around the world for about five years. And we went to Japan also and also to Taiwan. And we collaborate with local dancers and we determine what is unique about their culture and put that on stage. And so the premise of the show is really about learning to accept our reflection despite the programming that we might receive from the media about what is considered beautiful and learning how to integrate that so that we can become our most whole self. And the different patterns that we might fall into when we don't feel like we're good enough varies from country to country. For example, in Japan, they work a lot, so it's easy to get addicted to work. Whereas in Mexico, alcohol is more of a problem there. Although people drink a lot in Japan too. And then we discovered when we went to Taiwan that some people actually sell their bodies so that they can fuel their shopping addiction. And so this is one project I want to mention because I feel like I've been really privileged being able to gain insight into different cultures through dance and being able to put that on stage so that the audience can see reflection of who they are through this medium. And that's very unique and powerful. And for me, it's really the projects where it's a shared experience with others like that pops out in my mind.
0: Cool. And PURE stands for Public Urban Ritual Experiment. Yes, it does. The Public Urban Ritual Experiment Reflections Beauty Reimagined Tour. That sounds incredible.
1: Yeah, we have different projects that pop up, like a conference that I ran for six years, and that would happen usually over three or four days. And different teachers that have a focus on healing and dance or social change will come together. And we have workshops and panel discussions and a theatrical show. And we usually go out and do a site-specific performance on the street and in the park. And we also visit a museum like the Rubin Museum or the Met and we look at the artwork. And generally, it's focused on a specific theme for that specific year. So it could be a peaceful warrior, for example, or last year, which was 2019, the theme for the Pure Conference was the Impure Conference. And that was just more about celebrating being more naughty than nice. <laughs> and humor was a big part of it, and color. So we're going to be releasing a video that we shot that was taken outdoors down at the World Trade Center site that's coming up. My brother shot that and we just did a lot of John Cleese, Crazy Funny Walks.
0: I remember Dahlia Corella talking about the Impure Conference and I was intrigued. I'm like, ooh, what a cool name for a conference.
1: Yeah, yeah. So she was one of the teachers. And of course, when I thought of somebody who's gotten in trouble because she's pushed a lot of buttons over the years, she would be great (laughs) for that specific panel. I think she was a featured teacher for the Pushing Buttons panel.
0: (laughs) Ooh. Very cool. And you wrote Trinidad here as well. Is there something you wanted to mention about Trinidad?
1: I mentioned that originally because it was more about the sensation of dancing in front of a large crowd and the power of a mass of people and how that can really fuel you. That something that I've had the benefit of experiencing in my lifetime. Some people say when they climb to the top of the Statue of Liberty, when people are still allowed to do that, and they stand at her crown that they feel the power of all the eyes that are looking up at her from the ground, looking at her from the fairies, looking at her from the skyscrapers, and they can feel that there's a shift in energy. And so I wrote that down because I think when you are in front of a large mass of people and you are the focus of their attention, that suddenly you just feel that you're like Popeye, you've just ingested a hundred cans of spinach. (laughs) like You have all this energy that just comes out of you and sometimes will transform in ways that are unexpected in the case of going to trinidad and i think it was 2001 i did this with a mark and suddenly our choreographies look quite different like suddenly her tops are so giant because she was trying to reach that last person way in the distance that her movements were gigantic and i remember watching the video after and my movements look so small next to hers <laughs> what are you doing we don't look synchronized with this she said I couldn't help it <laughs> I couldn't
0: help all it. that energy all the eyes yeah 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 what was it like to be part of belly dance superstars in 2003 that was a dream come true I
1: don't have an extensive dance background like all the other dancers that were part of the belly dance superstars I came into belly dance as an adult and I see it as my fourth profession and in many ways I felt like an imposter but I felt very privileged too that I had a chance to do this and witness this with my own eyes because prior to the belly dance superstars, Amara, myself and Jenna, we were the original co-founders of Belly Queen. We would dream that an opportunity like that would exist where there was a professional company that could perform on stages that were also shared by companies like Contemporary Ballet, Flamenco, all these other dance forms that are celebrated by the mainstream. And we wanted that for belly dance too. And we thought, yeah, maybe in our lifetime, maybe in the next generation's lifetime, but be able to experience that in my lifetime, I feel very privileged. So I am happy that it happened, and I'm also sad that it's no longer there. And I'm sad that there is no company that's still touring around regularly.
0: Yeah, kind of fell out of the popular
1: realm for a while. I think that there were opportunities for belly dancers through people like Bobby Farah. He was able to bring his Near East Ensemble on two stages. Like Lincoln Center, Avery Fisher Hall, and Town Hall, and this happened in the '80s. I also know Serena Wilson was featured in Lincoln Center out of doors, and now she's passed on. And seems like a lot of these opportunities are no longer there, and that saddens me. I feel like this dance form that we hold so dear does deserve a platform that enables it to be more seen. Although I must say, having said that, I do remember in the Super Bowl that halftime. Recently, Shakira and JLo were donning their hip scarves and shimmying up a storm, you know? <laughs> so that really helped us as far as interest, enrollment. And of course, there's Belly Dance Evolution too. That is an incredible project as well. And and Jelena's doing fantastic things. I just wish that there was a full-time company that could also perform as well and that tours around like superstars did.
0: Mm-hmm. I never had the chance to see a show. Mm. So I also hope that it comes up for many reasons in addition to I would love to see that big production with all the different genres of belly dance in there and such amazing dancers and yeah, it'd be really cool. I'm so glad you got to be part of it. Yeah, I do feel very privileged. I keep saying
1: that I sound like a broken record but I... (laughs) had a unique peep into what it's like to dance with a lot of other dancers on stage whether it's a variety show in the case of the belly Naz superstars or a show that has a specific storyline with a beginning, a middle and an end like my own shows with Pure or with Belly Queen because we also put together Journey Along the Silk Road and that's about a princess who's trying to save her dying mother, the empress and she needs to collect three magical ingredients to create the potion to to save her mother. And that is also a show I toured for about five years. And we took that to Europe, to Japan, to Thailand, to Australia. And that is also a very fulfilling project that involved many dancers. We would work with local cast and it's a lot of work. It's like climbing Mount Everest, but it's also very fulfilling as well. And so... Yeah, I'm not sure when that will happen again, but one day. <laughs> Very cool. One day.
0: What was the name of that show? Uh, Journey Along the Silk yes. Road? Yes, Journey
1: Along the Silk Road.
0: Sounds beautiful.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time with theater shows, it's so much time and investment with costuming, with set design. and our case, is more about the projection because then I commission professional animators to create the projection, like Pete List. He's part of Jin. He's an incredible animator. So he has... The sequence where in the Silk Road show, the princess loses the lotus flower, which is one of the magical ingredients. And then there's this chase scene. And so I involved him into creating some of these graphics. And that's my way of getting around having a very bulky set, because if you have amazing graphics and visuals, then you can let the audience know that,
0: oh, they're in India now. Oh, you're in Turkey now, quite easily. Mm-hmm. Projection, that's a great way to do it. Yes. You've mentioned test of endurance too with belly dance superstars. Did you want to say anything about that?
1: Yes. In 2003, when I was touring with them, we averaged about three to five hours sleep a night and we were on the road for a couple of months. So that was definitely a test of endurance because the food we're eating was not ideal either. A lot of the time the dancers were surviving off Twizzlers and lettuce because we would stop at gas stations and then they would go out, they would eat chocolate. And then we would just cram into this bus and sit for hours and hours because we would drive for seven hours sometimes and our schedule was hard because we would get to a venue about three o'clock in the afternoon we would start checking between maybe four to six put on makeup eat dinner then go on stage the show would start at eight the show would end at 10 then we'd have to pack up and would pile back onto the bus it was more like an airport shuttle was small and then we would drive from 11 to maybe 1 or 2 in the morning Then we'd pile out. we check into the hotel and it depends what time we have to wake up because we did a lot of morning shows as well for the news. So you might sleep from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. and then do a morning news segment and then you would get back onto the bus. It was a test of endurance for sure. And it looks so glamorous on the outside. We've got our makeup on with our costumes and, you know, when you look a little deeper then you realize oh my god we're traveling in the summer we're sweating our asses off we're trying to air out our costumes and our bus stinks you know (laughs) we have all our bras like suction cupped to the windows
0: (laughs) that's a great visual actually
1: yeah because There's nowhere else to air out our costumes, right?
0: You know, that's part of why I have the vegan whole food ingredient in these shows is because I've noticed backstage at the shows that I'm in and with the troupe that I used to be in, people just ate crap and they wouldn't eat Mm -hmm. before they went on or after the workshop or in between workshops. They just wouldn't eat Twizzlers and lettuce. Like that's exactly it and chocolate. And I'd have my food, you know, I have my quinoa or whatever I'd made. I'd pull it out and try to hide because I didn't want to make anybody hungry. But I'm like, oh, why is there this culture of just eating? crap or not eating when we're athletes right you know so that's part of why i've brought it into the shows too
1: yeah absolutely but i know why the dancers were gravitating to the sugar it was because they were just tired they were just really tired and they just wanted sugar Right. And it was a gas station option.
0: I mean, if you're touring like crazy, that also makes sense. We're touring
1: through middle America. And this was 2003. And so there were not as many vegan options. There certainly was no oat milk that existed at that time. And so Georgiane, who was vegetarian, she had very, very slim pickings when it came to food. So that's basically what she survived on lettuce.
0: Uh yeah. It's a good life now. We have so much great food in a lot of parts of at least I should say New York. I don't know about other parts of the US, but man, I mean California of course great food in different cities. Even with great options too, I see dancers that I'm like, "Oh my god, are you hungry?" <laughs> They want to look good in their costume. They want to fit into their costume. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Do you see any links between your meditation practice and your strength as a dancer? The meditation
1: does help me thrive under pressure. When the lights are on and I need to perform, I know I can deal really well with that. A couple of summers ago, I learned how to ride a motorcycle. And I was not doing well during the regular exercises, but when it came time to have the exam. I was kicking ass. (laughs) Whereas my fellow students, they did so good during the rest of the time, like learning how to trace a figure eight with a motorcycle inside a big rectangle. And then when the exam was happening, a lot of them made mistakes that they never make. So I attribute that to many years on stage needing to perform under high pressure, but also years of meditation, of finding that stillness in the eye of the storm. Because I do really... Enjoy dancing to live music, and I did not always enjoy dancing to live music when I was younger. So it's definitely something that I've had to get over as far as my fear is concerned. When I was a younger dancer, I wanted everything to be perfect. And I mentioned earlier, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And so this concept of peering into the unknown, having this completely blank slate with nothing set, terrified the heck out of me. And also not knowing what the musicians would play how they would play it. There's just so many unknown factors. And when you want to look good and do a good job and you're not sure what's going to happen, it's scary. So it's been a journey for me. Now I definitely prefer it. If I have the choice of live music versus recorded music, I prefer live music. If I have the choice of choreography or improv, as a soloist, I prefer improv. But that was definitely not the case when I first started out. And that the first time I started learning how to belly dance was February 20, 1996. So it's been a 24 years at this point. So you do need to practice it, having a regular practice of dancing for fun. And ideally, you have a chance to listen to the band that you're dancing to ahead of time. If you are in the practice of listening to music and depending on what genre, it could be Middle Eastern music or just music in general, then you can start to anticipate where a song is going to go, even if you've never heard it before. Before. so i'm not afraid now to get up and dance to songs i've never heard before but it does help to have the band announce that ahead of time because i do want to also set the expectations for the audience because if there are very dramatic accents that i don't know then i probably won't be nailing that <laughs> you know that's okay
0: <laughs> i have seen you perform to live music and you are absolutely stunning on stage with a band Do you have any tips for dancing confidently to live music? And we would also love to hear more about Jam NYC. Jam NYC is
1: a regular weekly event that I started in 2007 and it ran at Jabon, which is a sushi restaurant in the East Village until 2018. I lose track of the years, but I ran it for 10 years and when I first moved to New York, I saw so much live music and belly dance together. There was cedars of lebanon There was mezzo mezzo there was grizzly pear I and mean, in general a lot of the live music has disappeared and these days what is more common is a dancer will dance to her ipod and then maybe if there are musicians you have one musician playing by themselves or maybe two And when I first came to New York, you had four bands, you had musicians playing all night. And I think that even what I witnessed was a scaled down version compared to the heyday, which was in the 60s and the 70s on 20th Street, where they had music every night and they had music till 4 a.m. every night. And dancers could get jobs easily. Like Morocco says that even Godzilla would have gotten a job, you know, as a belly dancer. and so I really learned so much through the practice of dancing to a band and I do my part of trying to continue that legacy by organizing the Jam NYC events to allow musicians to connect with dancers and vice versa and to also celebrate different generations so this is an age positive, body positive, color positive, gender positive event and dancers who are new to dancing as well as professionals are all welcome and it's a chance for people to celebrate each other and it's important for the younger generation to have the opportunity to dance to live music and not only for the dancers but for the musicians too because the musicians are aging as well and the ones who are really really experienced playing for dancers are older perhaps because they were around doing all the gigs when it was really hot and there were tons of gigs and I'm witnessing a split with the younger musicians now and the dancers that not as many younger musicians have the same opportunities and they're kind of siloed in their own groups and maybe it's just because it's what they know they know there's cheap music they know each other or maybe it's a budget thing there isn't as much money to go around the more people you have and venues are far disappearing for live music and so it's easier to just have the band alone without the dancer or the dancer without the band and so my jam event is really trying to build bridges and I did end up moving it to a new venue it's called The Secret Room and it's in Midtown so it's on 8th Ave between 44th and 45th Street and instead of a weekly event it was going to become every two weeks and I have a show that's on hold because of the pandemic but we'll see I mean I'm not fussed I'm pretty relaxed the safety of everybody's more important and you know I trust that when is the right time we'll start back up.
0: This show is being recorded in early April of 2020 in case you're listening way after it's released so that's why we're talking about the pandemic.
1: Well Cuomo says that in New York we may be on lockdown for nine months right so I'm mentally preparing myself for that.
0: right yeah Casey, thank you for speaking more about the tendency to have smaller bands and less bands and just less live music in general yeah it's so sad to me it is <laughs> this is supposed to be a light hearted podcast and anyway. we <laughs> the touring ah, groups are gone the live music is dwindling <laughs> well something else is going to emerge from that you know what I mean where there's an opening things come but I do talk about that a lot because I am very nostalgic Cornell Middle Eastern Ensemble was the first band that I was in. And we had like 14 musicians in it. And it was beautiful. It was just such a joy to be in that ensemble that size. But the DJ is winning over and over again. And I love DJs, but I love live music more. So (laughs) yeah, that's the trend.
1: I mean, I have so much respect for musicians. And it's not an easy profession. My friend Rami, who is now teaching at the Belly Queen School, he's teaching musicality for dancers, and he's teaching drums. He basically lost all his work because of the pandemic and he was touring with al and the Nubatones and a lot of their tours to Europe all of it it was all cancelled or rescheduled till October so he's looking around for what he can do and not only him I mean there are plenty of other people in different situations but it's not easy as a musician
0: right my husband and I went to Burning Man once some years ago and it was a big growth experience uh-huh. as a performance artist and as a cost costume lover I've always loved costumes yes. how have you grown as an entertainer from your burning man experiences mm, I've only been to Burning Man once And I really enjoyed
1: the creativity and how people could express themselves, whether they wanted to ride naked on a bike or walk around wearing all the tags of previous Burning Man events they've been to on their body. So that was really inspiring. And for me, personally, I got to fall in love with piano music. I was out, it was actually my birthday, and I was on my bicycle and... And you're just out there riding and writing and you just happen upon whatever and then you just hop on and you discover because you just don't really have an agenda. You just show up and meet lots of fun people and discover what is in front of your eyes. And so I happened upon this art car uh, called the Melton John Art Car and they had this piano that was on the second floor with incredible pianists that are world class, like super famous and I met one called 80 pianist from Turkey. She lives in LA now and she was up there playing and playing. And you know, for most of my life, at least my belly dance life, I haven't really considered piano music as an option to want to dance to. And since I went to Burning Man recently, I've been listening to more piano music and performing to it too. So that's how it's affected me as an entertainer.
0: That's fabulous. I only went to Burning Man once as well. And when I did, I was like, great, where are the drummers? Where's the live music? And I couldn't find it. I love that you found pianos on an art car. That is so fabulous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I much prefer music where I can hear the actual instruments. And so that's one thing that for me personally, I was not as into with the music that's just. Yeah. every day morning to night I was just looking and looking where are the musicians where are the bands I want to hear
0: them play with their own hands with their own right. right mouths yeah so you've discovered the piano and how that has worked its way into your belly dance life that's beautiful yes let's do some dancing
2: damn sexy dance move
0: what damn sexy dance move would you like to share To me, the
1: most favorite damn sexy dance move of mine that I love to do, it's not so unique because it's one of the foundation movements of belly dance. But in my opinion, the most sexy dance move is the inward figure eight. And that is when you twist one hip forward. So if you're standing with your feet underneath your hip joints and you lift your left heel up, twist the left hip front, and then you draw the left hip bone in toward your sternum or your heart and then you shift your weight from the left ball to the right heel and then you transfer your weight to the right foot and twist the right hip front drawing the hip bone in toward the sternum and as you're squeezing your abs to draw that hip bone in you can extend out the sensation it's like melted chocolate basically and really that's about slowing down and taking your time and savoring that to me is what makes it say sexy
0: ah but i've read inward figure eight we call that i think a forward figure eight or something mm-hmm. but you know an ithaca i should say mm-hmm. but yes the way you just described it i was doing it too and it was like oh this is really really nice slow mm-hmm. yeah so i don't think i do it slow very often <laughs> so thank you for just slowing me down there to really just savor mm-hmm. that move Mm-hmm. it's easier to understand when you say inward too because forward I always used to think but one thing's kind of going forward even if I'm doing mm-hmm. a backward <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you call the opposite one? outward outward so it's just an inward and an outward figure eight yeah and if you studied I mean I don't really
1: do ballet but they have outward and inward leg circles so it follows the direction too so they have on the or and on the down I don't know if you've ever heard of that but it's like the rond de jambe where you take your toe and then you trace a circle on the floor actually that's pretty sexy too the rond de jambe so if you plie the left leg your weights balanced on the left leg and your left knee is soft and you point your right foot front and then you circle it around on the floor like you're tracing the floor as though your foot's a paintbrush with wet paint and if you start front and move back that's called an outward circle And then if you start back and you come front, that's an inward circle. And so in mainstream dance, that's outward and inward. And so if you take that same principle and then you apply that to your hips, that's the same direction for outward and inward for the figure
0: eights. I love being in venues where my toes can actually get some attention. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you can actually draw something on the floor with your leg and it's seen. You know, some places where people are sitting and it's really just your shoulders and your chest that are mostly <laughs> seen above other people's heads in the audience. Because we play in bars a lot, and you know, places like that. It's not a theater situation. But yes, doing a jam is so pretty and it feels good too as mm-hmm. a dance because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, look at this sexy toe and leg. Yes, that's a really great one. Right. Let's play Dress Up.
2: Make you shine, costume tip.
0: What is one costume tip that you want to share?
1: I recommend you always put on your costume first, test it out, even if you know that it fits you. Maybe it's been a year or a couple of years since you've worn that specific costume and the elastic stretched out or maybe some beads fell off that you forgot about because they do that. That's just part of what happens when you have a costume with lots of jangly things on it. Things are going to fall off and maybe at that moment you thought, oh, I'll get around to fixing it one day and then that one day comes and you've forgotten to fix it. So yeah, put the damn costume on and try it out and hopefully it still fits and then you're not stuck at the place with a costume that's too loose or a costume that's too tight and you can't get into it anymore so that's my tip good
0: point because yes rehearse with your costume on even if you already rehearsed with that costume on but you haven't rehearsed with it on for some time
1: <laughs> yeah things happen to costume right? right depending on how you store them you know like sometimes velvet will stretch and the elastics will loosen like that just happens even if you don't touch it
0: great point Tell us about something exciting that you have coming up. And again, this is being recorded in April 2020, New York. So yes, what do you have coming up that's exciting for you? Well, we
1: did just launch our online platform with a very full schedule this week and One thing I'm loving about having an online platform is I'm able to include musicians because so many dancers I know are interested in learning how to play music and learning more about music. And it's more of a specialized topic. And 440 Studios, which is where I've rented space since 2004, they have a no drum policy. And so I'm very limited with how much live music that I can include in my classes. And so the fact that we can go online and everyone can connect through Zoom. And some of my teachers that are also my friends who are amazing musicians that no longer live in New York City, they can be involved. Like Rami, for example, he used to teach drum classes maybe in 2010. I want to say, at Jaban, we used to have him teach down there in the sushi restaurant because he couldn't do it at 440, where the Belly Queen School is, because of the no drum policy. And so that happened mostly because I wanted to learn how to drum and become a better musician and get more in tune with the music. And now he lives in Massachusetts. And with Zoom, he's able to still teach. And I love it. And we don't have the policy that we have to adhere to. So that's really great. So he's going to continue teaching that. And then you don't have the pressure of rent and overhead because renting space in New York City is expensive. And so it enables us to get more creative with the different topics that we might want to offer. And another musician friend, his name is Ari Marcus, and he is completing his PhD in Arabic music. And he is giving a talk on Um Umkothum and Muhammad Abdel Wahab. I'm sure people would love to hear that so that's coming up too in the future cool rami al and ari
0: marcus great and how did that class go the other day with rami
1: it was fun i mean he's so knowledgeable and funny and it's a subject that people are really interested in and want more of so how could people find out more about that workshop the rami al workshops they can go to the belly queen site So bellyqueen.com all the Great. class listings will be put up there. And my intention is to eventually build to a situation where we have some music class every day. We have dance every day Ooh. right now, but to have like a music practice in the afternoon where people can jump in there and even maybe have a drop-in practice. And then there'll be focus workshops as well where he's really giving individual attention to specific people about how they're hitting their drums and the angling of how's position on their lap because you really do need a teacher to give you that feedback to help you progress but then there'll be other classes that are more open where it's more lecture based perhaps like the Muhammad Abdel Wahab and Unkathun with the concert after where people can dance to the music
0: yeah very cool and so Keishi what instruments do you play? I'm
1: learning the nay or the nai the Arabic musicians call it nai and the Turkish musicians call it nay so basically it's a hollow reed it is basically a pipe with a couple of holes punched into it and it is freaking hard to get a sound out of it. They say that's half the battle just to get a sound out of this instrument is one of the hardest flutes to play in the world and so I managed to get some sounds out. I'm trying to make my sounds more consistent and I'm learning Lama Bada right now which is a famous song in the Samai rhythm and the Nahawan Makam which is the Arabic modal scale or event is the Turkish name for that makam and i'm also playing darbuka yeah so i play drums i play finger cymbals and i play the flute the nay or the nai i have a whole nai set and i still haven't gotten a sound out of it so good on you girl <laughs> i suggest perhaps studying with ari you know what i bet ari could probably teach a my workshop and the topic can be how to get a sound out of your nai you know
0: yeah and people could practice with like beer bottles or whatever they have around if they don't have night. <laughs> Yeah. People have made all kinds of suggestions about how to practice getting that sound out of other things too, in addition to those flutes. I didn't try hard enough, but I've heard that it could take like a year to get a sound
1: out. Yeah. Learning how to whistle helps and strengthening mm-hmm. your whistle. And if you press the nai into your lips a little more, that makes it easier too. So it's a pressure of how you're placing it on your lips.
0: I took it to my voice teacher who also plays the Nye and the Oud. And- everything, Nikolai Ruskin in Ithaca, and he just put it to his lips and got a sound out. And I just was looking like, how I have to put so much more time into it. And I love the Nye. I think it's such a gorgeous instrument. It adds so much when it's part of the mix of mm-hmm. sounds and instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you're helping me get inspired to try again. Yeah. It's
1: not easy to find a Nye teacher. It's a rare instrument, at least in New York. Not too many people play it. Like it's easier to find a person who plays uh back, but not really Nye. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Keishi, thank you so much for this wonderful interview and for bringing Brad into it as well. It's so wonderful to have another percussionist perspective, a non-belly dancing percussionist. I'm assuming Brad doesn't belly dance.
1: (laughs) Not professionally, but he can whip out a bunch of moves. He's seen it enough.
0: (laughs) Well, it's been really great to hear your experiences, you know, traveling with the belly dance superstars and traveling with your own productions and creating amazing shows. So thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. No problem. It was my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on AliciaFree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helped you feel a little lighter.